You're on mute. You're on mute, Jen. I heard you. Hello. How are the uh, North Carolina mountains, my friend? You know, this is this is a situation where, like, this is as good as I get today. So I'm like, you know, I'm in, yeah, in I'm, mountain time. You're on you're on mountain time. Well, I'm, I'm on, on time. I'm on jury duty time. That was great. A, oh That's yeah. Great. How sorry. was jury duty, Peter? All I can say is uh, I have newfound respect for those that do what you do, especially if you are doing it as a public service, because it is, my God, talk about a lot of sitting around and doing nothing. <laughs> That's your tax dollars at work, man. Oh, absolutely. I, I have no doubt that that is a big part of the problem. Um, but that's also, I think, in part because the courts are overworked, depending on where you are. And I am telling you right now, uh, the amount of people that were in there today, it was probably there could have been about 600 people in the room. So did you that's have to go in or did you just get excused because they had enough? No, what happened was, is that I actually did get called. There was a case that I was going to sit in on. And all I could tell you is. The best time to get called out is during lunch break, because that's when they typically will make a deal. And that's what ended up happening. So when we got back, they just told us that actually we, we ended up making a deal. So that was that. I got lucky. Um, because they won't the let me. I tried. I actually tried to sit jury duty. But the last time I got called, I went and I actually made it all the way through the I got panel question. That was the farthest I've ever gotten. And as soon as they found out that I had practiced at Becker and Polyakov, they were like, you're excused. Yeah, they can't let you sit in on that. Well, what? it was a case about it had to do with like a foreclosure. And so they saw that I used to do those things. So that didn't probably bode well. Yeah, I would guess that that's probably not going to go over very well. No, they like their jurors to be as obtuse as possible, actually. I, I actually that know sense. that I've sat in on, um, and we say in Texas, void dire, but I've sat in on it numerous times and seen like how it's done. Like, you don't want smart jurors. Nobody wants a smart juror. That's not, that defeats the whole purpose. Unless you have like a real technical, patenty engineering type case, you don't want a smart juror. Well, let us rock and roll yes. because our guest is on limited time and we've got plenty to talk about tonight. Yes. He is somebody who likes to speak truth to power and has basically been, you want to say victimized. Mm -hmm. I say he's been unfairly taken advantage of because if you really want to know when you're getting close to the truth, just follow the work that Lee Camp does, mm -hmm. who has been kicking ass and taking names for many years. He was also somebody who was a very uh, considerate and kind supporter of Jen when she ran for Congress in 2020, when a lot of people were not giving her much attention at all. Uh, we are here for him now and always. Lee Camp, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Were we supposed to wear purple? I didn't get the memo. <laughs> We wear um, our, we just wear our staff shirts. It's his thing. He's obsessed with it. Like I would have tossed that whole idea a long time ago. Listen, bro, if you want, if you wanted, uh, here comes the sun t-shirt. We've got it in purple. The one that Jen's wearing, we'll get you whatever you want. Ah, get you one for awesome. the little guy as well. Awesome. Do you have so it in, do you have it in black? I mostly wear black. No, I actually, yeah, we're just all purple here. We're just all purple. I'm sorry. So how is it being back stateside? That's what I really wanted to ask you because you had the luxury 
of not living here um, for how long? Yeah, so I ended up, uh, you know, I haven't talked that much about it, but I ended up in a weird situation because uh, me and my partner had a, a kid. We brought one of those little humans into the world and it was three months before. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how you plan for this, but it was three months before Russia invaded Ukraine. So at that moment, as most people know, the week that happened, uh, U.S. sanctions then shut down RT America, where my show, RT, where my show Redacted Tonight was. And so... We realized that one, you know, I was jobless, but also the fact that I finally had the ability to travel. I did, I wasn't tied to a studio, and so we went to uh, to stay with her mom in Sweden for uh, like nine, ten months. And um, yeah, it was. I mean, it's largely wonderful. Although the the winters are, you know, it's four hours of daylight, so you gotta you gotta really make use of those. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. And actually, I follow her. And so I got to see some of the really cool pictures um, and very artsy pictures. But it looks beautiful there. And you got to experience life in a world that prioritizes the birth of little humans. It's true. One of the funniest moments was we were, we were going to put him in after when he, after he was a year old or over a year. We were going to put him in daycare there. It didn't. It, he got sick. It didn't end up working out. But he was there for four days, and during that time, we were discussing the cost with them. And they said, "Well, because you're, you know, your husband's not a citizen and stuff, we actually do have to charge you. So for the month, we're really sorry about this. For the month, it's a hundred dollars." And they were so <laughs> they were so apologetic. They were like, "We don't. We we're, we've tried everything to get around this and." That's crazy. <laughs> well, welcome back. And um, I just wanted, I had seen, I saw you talking about your um, trip to China recently. And that reminded me like, well, it's been a while since I've talked to you, but I really wanted to hear about that because I feel like our misguided perception, um, purposefully misguided perception um, about China and is very clear to me. Like, I, I, I know whatever our perception is, isn't correct, but I, <laughs> I'm curious. I don't know what is correct, but I know we're not, right? Like, so right. I, I feel like I'm a step ahead there, but I'd love to hear like about that, that trip and like how that even came about and like, you know, anything like really insightful and cool that you got from that. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a whirlwind trip. It was four days. I was in Beijing. Uh, I did not get to run around China and see everything. I was also part of a, a forum or a summit there. And so I spent most of the time there, but really got to see Beijing for about a day or two. So uh, I don't want people to think that I saw every inch of China, <laughs> you know, but um, it, it, I still got to see some things and it was amazing. Um, they asked me to speak at, I believe it was called the second annual international, uh, Chinese summit on democracy. And, uh, I spoke, I was, I think the only American, uh, that wasn't via video. There were some Americans via video. Um, but there were some other very cool people there like George Galloway. Uh, most people know him and, um, uh, if I get his name right, Fred Mamembe, the gave an, an incredible speech, the socialist leader in uh, Zambia, I think. Um, I think I saw that. I think yeah. I saw a clip of his speech. Was that making the rounds about it's how America has any concept of democracy? Yeah, yeah. He he just knocked it out the park, and um, and 
it, you know, and I, and I gave a speech as well, but it, it really was a very international, very cool to meet all these people from nations around the world. And, you know, most of these nations have some form of cooperation with China. They don't have this kind of aggressive anti-China propaganda. Uh, and so they, they just kind of find it all ridiculous the way the U.S. is treating China right now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we can get into some of the specifics, but, uh, it, it just was a a very cool trip and, you know, a lot that, uh, a lot that I maybe expected to see that I didn't see, uh, you know, nobody, the way people talked about it, I thought there'd be someone following me around, you know, a minder or something and those type of things. But, uh, no, you know, they're, they're understandably skeptical of, of the U S and U S software, you know? So the thing that shocked me was I arrived there and I knew that, that I wasn't going to have like cell phone reception or something like that, but I wasn't prepared for everything that I use, like Gmail, Google, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. There was, I, I could not get connect in any way. And then I started speaking to Chinese people and they all go, Oh, well, we just use a VPN. So, so even though all those things are banned, they all get around it and they didn't, they didn't say, oh, we get a VPN and we'll, if we're found out, we'll be chained down in a dungeon somewhere. They were like, oh yeah, we use a VPN and we get around it. You know, you only get chained down in a dungeon somewhere when you do things in this country. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're Stephen Donziger or uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, then you get chained in a dungeon. Exactly. What would you say were some of the biggest differences you noticed in Chinese culture versus American culture? There, there is definitely a cultural thing about about authority and uh, you know accepting of authority and not wanting to offend authority, and so I think that's what leads leads some of the confusion. You know, I, I get that some people that that there's there's certain aspects of it that may be justified, but the the confusion about oh my god, we saw a Chinese military stationed on a sidewalk, and it shows a guy with a gun standing there, and it's like, well. In the U.S., we have the same thing in the airports, uh, but the difference is it looks very scary to us seeing a Chinese man in a you know sitting with straight eyes, you know, and a gun. But it 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 I, everybody I spoke to and and you know I did speak to a bunch of Chinese people. They they don't. It's like us. It's like us walking by someone with a assault rifle in an airport, a military guy in an airport. It, they don't. They just walk by it. They don't view it as anything. It's just. It's their society. That doesn't mean it's all right. That doesn't mean I, I love having people with guys, guys with guns in any society. But I don't think you know. For us, it's looked at. You see a photo of that, and you go, "What a repressive society!" And it's like I, I think it's kind of similar to, to ours. I don't know because you know they don't. They also don't have cops on every block. They also, they their interaction with police. I mean that I witnessed and that I people I spoke to, their interaction with police. Yeah, at times police do ask for ideas there, which is different than the U.S., but they also don't think the cops might shoot them over it. <laughs> so there's things that are worse. You know, I don't like police and I don't want them everywhere, but also they don't, the people that I spoke to and saw, this doesn't speak for everyone, uh, they don't have this fear that, oh, if if you, if they don't like you or you're the wrong color or uh, you know, they, they pull you over for something and then they, uh, d- they just get scared of you. They might shoot you. That's not really a thing there, I don't think. So. Yeah, that is nice to hear. I was thinking that when you were talking that 
we are so militarized at the local level now that it's absurd for any of us to even point any sort of fingers at China. Like, it's just ridiculous. And I also think that when people talk about them in terms of media, everyone always criticizes this idea of state-sponsored media. But the state media there, from what I've ever seen, seems a lot more unbiased than our oligarchic-sponsored media here. So I, I just like, right. again, I just see it's different, but not necessarily not as good. Right. So our, it's, it's weird because in a way, there's an argument to be made that our media is more free uh, because it's not technically state media, you know, CNN and MSNBC. But in, in really, that's uh, a false equivalence or a false difference, honestly, because we live in an inverted totalitarian system. We are ruled by the anonymous corporate state. The corporate state is at best in bed with, but really owns our government. So they own the networks as well. And if you aren't putting out what's allowable for the, the corporations that run our system, then you're not on those networks. And I'm, you know, I'm not allowed on those networks. And the one network that actually allowed us to say whatever we wanted and I was never censored was RT and that we see what happened yeah. to that was purge. You know, it lasted 10 years or whatever and a little over 10 years. And then it was purged from the system because it was saying things that aren't allowed on our networks. So in that way, we have essentially the same thing they have. Uh, we just get to run around or at least our me media and our government get to run around and go, oh, our media is all free and theirs is all under lockdown. Yeah. yeah. There is no question that there were a lot of things that you said. There were things that obviously Ed Schultz said. Heck, there were even things that Tom Hartman said, you know, when you were on RT, especially during the 2016 election, where they realized that they couldn't control the narrative anymore. So the only way to deal with it is to censor people. And we're seeing just how devastating censorship has become in this country. But I wonder from your perspective, why do you think so many liberals are so accepting of censorship? Like, it's absolutely incredible how they're really willing to just, you know, disregard what Ben Franklin said regarding liberty and security, that if you're willing to give up liberty for security, you are not entitled to either one. And that seems to be coming more and more of a prophecy today as we go about the current political environment that we're living in. Well, the, the, they they have largely successfully done the the old uh, the chess move or the old the old move of accusing your rivals of what you're doing. So they realized after 2016, really, I mean, that was the moment where they were like, "This has gotten out of hand." You know, Bernie Sanders nearly, despite all of our rigging, nearly won the the nomination, and Trump won the presidency, and and they they said, "This is." we got to stop this. This is too much freedom of information. And so they accused everybody and anything that, that was outside of the Overton window of being misinformation. And therefore it allowed endless censorship. So as they put forward tsunamis of propaganda, they say, Oh, you're misinformation and you're lying. And we now have seen Russia gate. It's amazing that it still continues to happen week to week right now, but we've seen it all collapse over, you know, these six years of garbage we had to listen to. 
Um, and and so they accused the other side or, or whatever they didn't want on those airwaves to be misinformation. And then they censored it all. And, and they've been impressively successful at a lot of it. Uh, you know, I'm I've I'm at the same number of Facebook followers that I was at the end of the 2016 election. It, they froze it basically uh, at that moment. Three hundred and thirty thousand never gone up again. And uh, and, you know, you mentioned Ed Schultz and some of the others. Many of them were at RT or had been banned and were not at RT, but just had been banned from other networks for that exact kind of speech. I mean, Ed Schultz was he told me the story. I didn't know this. He was at Bernie Sanders house where Bernie Sanders was announcing his run for the presidency, the first mm -hmm. run. And it was not that big a story. Right. But Ed Schultz supported him and went to the house and got the approval, obviously, of MSNBC to cover all the travel and everything. So he's there and it's five minutes to air. And he gets the call from the president of MSNBC that they're not going to air it. And so they've shipped Ed Schultz and his crew and everything to Bernie Sanders house. Uh, but they had already realized at that point that they needed to suppress Sanders. Um, and then eventually they get rid of Ed Schultz altogether. He ends up at RT America. Chris Hedges kicked out of New York Times for being against the Iraq war. He ends up at RT America. Rick Sanchez pushed out for similar reasons. He ends up at RT America. So a lot of us found the one place that would let us speak freely. Um, and, and now it's all, it's all gone, obviously. Yeah, I find that interesting. I can't see the difference between what we're living and what is the Ministry of Truth. Like, I'm really not sure that there is any sort of difference between what we're getting. You have media that doesn't do reporting anymore that is really what is the mainstream of what people have access to as far as news. They don't do reporting. They're literally giving given whatever they're given from the State Department, whatever talking head said, this is what you're going to say today. And so once we no longer had reporters reporting, that was the end. Like you, even in the Dan, Dan Rather era, and I wasn't like, I'm a big Dan Rather fan, but even you had those guys actually were reporters. They actually were reporters, were in the field, you know, whatever. So, you know, that's gone. And, and they, the, a lot of them, maybe the major the majority of them knew what to say to be allowed on those networks. However, there were exceptions. There were, there were the Seymour Hershes. There were, the 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 people that ultimately under pressure wrote about Ellsberg's Pentagon revelations. Um, and so and there were the Robert Shears and th there were these exceptions that revealed all these amazing stories and, and changed the world, changed the nation. Um, and now those have all been purged. I mean, those, those two are some good examples. Robert Shear, after 30 years at L.A. Times, is pushed out. And Seymour Hersh pushed out despite being one of the most legendary reporters America has. And now our mainstream media won't even cover his uh, revelations about the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, we, we have gotten to a place where the, the truth is absolutely an, a, anathema to the, the empire's games. And they're in a scared place. So they're shutting it all down. And it, it really is disgusting to see and people have to stand up against it. And one of the grossest things is the fact that that media, the mainstream media, they don't even stand up for the censoring of their colleagues. No, because like, they're not colleagues. Yeah, yeah. That's, they're that's not really colleagues. So like, they're not colleagues of Julian Assange. Right. Those are not colleagues of him. Those are talking heads. You know, so they have no they are only loyal to capital. Right. Like, I mean, they have no they don't care about they're not seeking truth. You know, it's funny. 
you know, it's funny, Jen and I were talking earlier today about uh, Chris Hedges and how, you know, he easily could have been Jim Acosta if he really wanted to be. But being a journalist, a real journalist was more important to him than anything else. And I think the whole idea of, you know, Dr. Cornell West running for president is that he's going to say things that need to be said that a lot of people are going to have a very hard time hearing. And the smear campaign, the censorship campaign, they are not even allowing this thing to get air. They are hell bent on making sure that he is silenced and quickly. Mm-hmm. How do you see this unfolding? Because to me, he could basically run a barn burner campaign through every college campus across this country. And he's going to be, uh, listen, is he going to be viable to actually win this whole thing? No, but could he actually create enough momentum where the two-party system really gets shaken to its core and people feel comfortable in moving in another direction? Yeah, I think that's very possible this time around because I think the numbers are bearing it out that people are tired of this shit. Yeah, those are all good points. And he is a a beloved person uh, who speaks the truth and he speaks the truth in front of the powerful, uh, even as they stare. And he's got a brilliant way of doing it, you know, calling them all my brother and my sister. And they somehow don't realize that he's just uh, undermined (laughs) the the core of their ridiculous belief systems. But so he's he's phenomenal at doing it. But he, you know, he stood he was on the DNC's platform committee and stood in front of all of them and somehow told them all that they were immoral for <laughs> not being able to speak at all about Israel and about the apartheid state there. And and he uh, he he made them look like idiots. But he's willing to say these things in front of uh, the people that that have the power to decide whether he's on the next committee, whether he's in the next thing, he's not going to back down. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed with Cornell West and there, there's very little that he's ever said that I disagree with. Yeah. I mean, look, there've definitely been some things we've talked about over the past week regarding his willingness to run with the people's party um, questions about whether or not it even is a party. We know they don't have ballot access, like certain things. I mean, there was a, a uh, sort of video released of Chris Hedges mentioning at a worker strike back event that he had set up a meeting between the Green Party and um, Cornell. And, you know, hopefully that comes to something because that's obviously a lot more of a viable situation. Um, but I feel the same way. I feel like, yeah, there's flaws there because there's flaws with everybody. But I can't think of a better person to stir the shit up. And honestly, that's all you're going to get from a third party run at this point. That's all you're going to get is. But the question is, how much shit can they stir up? That's the it's the degree of it. Yeah. I mean, the the thing is, if you run in the Democratic Party, then again, you can stir up a lot of shit. But you at the end of the day, you are running for if if you stand for the stuff you and I as you and I are talking about, you're you're running for a, a revolution in an anti-revolutionary party and they're going to do everything to crush you. Now they're going to do everything they can to crush third parties as well. However, you you are not in their system. 
I mean, you know, DNC lawyers have said in court that they are entitled to rig the primary. So you're not running in that system. Now, like you said, they've still done everything they can to rig the third parties out of it as well. Matthew Ho ran as a Green Party candidate in North Carolina recently. And despite getting over the number of signatures, they then threw them all out. Ultimately, a court decided that they're not allowed to throw them all out and he still was able to run. But you know, that is the type of shit that you're up against is you get all the signatures, you do all the things, you check all the boxes, and then they say, oh, yeah, we just remembered. We uh, set fire to all those signatures. You know, it is it is a ridiculous system. But I, I agree that whether, you know, whether Cornell can win the presidency or not, yeah. I think is less important at this point than whether he can get everybody active on these issues, get everybody talking about them, move the Overton window, move the ideas, push the ideas and, you know, light a fire in people. Yeah. I don't think I can recall a candidate for president that I can remember that has ever had the balls to talk about Israel. I don't, I can't recall that. Um, I I guess Jill Stein, it's on the platform, but not in the same way of really calling it out. Not like that. And so I I do appreciate that. And I think it's very important at that level, at the national level, to have someone willing to do that. Now, he's a very, very charismatic thought leader of the highest order. He is, in my opinion, more Malcolm than he is Martin, and he is Eugene Debs all the way. Um, But it's what is called for in this moment. Um, The country is in a lot of trouble and people are scared and rightfully so. But I think the Democratic Party is exposing itself day by day. Uh, We were speaking about this at length last week. You know, the polls that are coming out, the most recent polls, that our mainstream polls are showing that Biden in a primary is under 60% now, whether it's between RFK and Marianne, and then at least a dozen percent that are not even sure who they want to vote for. I mean, to me, that is the ultimate red flag that this president is going to be, uh, you know, unseated next year, whether it is Trump from a jail cell or Ron DeSantis. It just goes to show you that, Protecting corporate special interests comes before the will of the people in the Democratic Party. It's the same way in the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party pretends that it's something other than what it really is. And I think day by day we're learning as I think that there's a there's a great awakening that's happening. Yeah, we we were enamored with Bernie and all that. But I think a lot of people are starting to get hip to the game now. Do you see it as the same way? I mean, I think so in many ways. I I think that. Shutting down some of the avenues of information has probably had some effect, uh, you know, which is incredibly infuriating. But I think you're right that people are waking up. I mean, like you said, RFK Jr. has 20 percent or over 20 percent. And how long has he been running? Like three weeks or something? I mean, it's it's kind of just gotten started. Uh, you know, sadly, we have these presidential uh, uh, elections that last for goddamn ages. <laughs> Too long. But, but, uh, you know, he's only been going a few weeks and already he's uh, he's over 20 percent and and Biden's, you know, below 60. And that's and that's a CNN poll. You know, they generally poll 70 uh, year olds who have landline phones. So uh, it, who knows what the real numbers are? But uh, it 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 yeah, it definitely shows that that people are waking up. They're angry. They're they're 
they see the flaws in these two parties. You have more people in America saying now that they're independents than that they are either Democrat or Republican. Uh, you know, this is a rigged system, as George Galloway so beautifully put it. It is two cheeks of the same backside. Uh, they stand for the same things. And so we got to get outside of that. Uh, absolutely. At the end of the day, it has to be outside of these two parties. Now, the system is so rigged that it's incredibly difficult to do that. Um, but I think people are waking up. Yeah, I, th- I have this multi-pronged idea, sort of like with everything. You know, you throw enough shit against the wall, something's going to stick. And so I actually like all strategies sort of simultaneously, as long as they're not negatively impacting somebody else's strategy. Because really, when I look at the stuff that Workers Strike Back is doing, I feel very hopeful. I think that's very, very promising. I think we always talk about how the importance is really with the labor movement. We don't even have a labor party in this country. So I, I'm, you know, and obviously this president just screwed the railroad workers. So like we're not, I feel like we're in this very sort of ripe opportunity for a real worker sort of resurgence. And that's where it's going to come simultaneously with any chipping away we can do electorally. Because, you know, obviously electorally, it's almost like at this point you're just running defense. Um, but even, even that I think is still something better than nothing. And it all has to happen at the same time, you know, so you need the people marching outside so that the people on the inside can say to their colleagues, uh, yeah, I come with all these people. This is sort of like the mandate to do what we need to do. So the people on the inside, I think what happens is people will get somebody elected and then they think that's it. Okay. They're there now. They're going to just do their job. And in a lot of cases, we've seen that it doesn't happen for reasons that we know. But I also think that the people on the outside think that their job is done once they get somebody in office. And the reality is the person in office needs those people behind them. So it all has to happen at the same time. Like that's sort of my thought on it. Yeah, there was, you know, there was a beautiful poster someone was carrying when they were at one of the anti-Trump marches when he had just gotten into office and the poster said if hillary had won we'd be at brunch right now and i was like that's the problem if hillary had won you'd be at fucking brunch right now yeah (laughs) so it's it's they still don't get it a lot of them a lot of them still don't get it yeah no so many people don't get it and you know we we have this ridiculous charade of an election i mean it really is sad when the two parties that are allowed to actually uh, have a shot of winning are really one party um, and so, you know, that that's why I will be announcing in the next couple of weeks that I am going to be the campaign manager of uh, a grayish brown rock that I found in my front yard uh, who will be running for office. We, Peter, we not- show him who we support. Show him. Oh, who yes, absolutely. Well, you know, the the no labels party. Well, we did it before them. Parliamentarian. Mansion and parliamentarian for, for president and vice president. Well, oh, apparently they're the two most powerful people in America, according oh, yes, to the yes. Democratic establishment. <laughs> so why not just yes. give them what they want? Listen, we know your time that, is limited. That, we that want parliamentarian, to- oh my God, that person, I, you know, I wish I knew their name, but they are amazing <laughs> what they've gotten done. The idea, and you know, if you really want to see just how absolutely propagandized and gone a MSNBC, CNN viewer really is, Anyone who bought the parliamentarian excuse when it came to the $15 minimum wage, it's like, okay, if you want to know whose door you don't have to knock on to canvas when you're trying to win an election, don't knock on their door. Because whoever Joy Ann Reed and Rachel Maddow tell them to vote for, that's who they're going to vote for. 
That's it. It's it, that is done. And that's good. Save time because there's a lot of voters out there who can be swayed. <laughs> Last thing before you go. Obviously, you're well aware of all of this infighting that's been going on on the left. Everyone is fighting for position, for clout and all of that stuff. What do you propose would be an effective way to really bring as many of these voices together. We've seen some of these channels cross-pollinate, but the fact is, and I'm not gonna call them out, but I'm sure you know who some of them are, their intention is not to like rally, like let's say people behind the labor movement, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, what would you do? How would you see as being effective? We know you do stuff with Graham Elwood, who we think very highly of. Uh, how would you see it as a way to kind of bring more of the populist left voices together to become more effective at what we're doing? Because the populist right, they do it all the time. That's one of the reasons they're effective is because they always blend. On our side, we're all over the place. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty pathetic. Uh, you know, a lot of these people, uh, I, I think that many of them are just going after clicks and they don't really uh, they don't really think about uh, about the, the the core issues at the end of the day. I mean, I largely try and stay out of it, although it is very difficult. Um, but, uh, I, I think people need to unite, you know, I I've said before, I said it in my standup special, which by the way is now free on YouTube. Uh, but I've said in my standup special that if you were to take the things that we actually all agree on or, or like we should all be united. I mean, there, there's so many groups that should be united just against a right wing fascist movement. Uh, it, it really should be like 70% of the country when you add it all up. Anybody who is oppressed, anybody who cares about the environment, anybody who's poor, anybody who's exploited, anybody who's working to the bone, anybody who's any of these things uh, should all be working together to change this system. And instead, we've been ripped apart. We've been told to go at each other. We've been told, oh, no, you need to hate this other person because they said one thing that you disagree with you know, three years ago or whatever. You know, even in in Amy Goodman's interview of Cornell West, she was she was upset that he'd been on Joe Rogan because, uh, you know, of things Joe Rogan had said 10 years ago. And it's like, look, you can have criticism <laughs> of Joe Rogan. That's fine. But you're going to be mad at Cornell West for being on his show. Like everybody who's been on a show should needs to be accountable for everything that interviewer has ever said in their lives. Right. <laughs> insanity and it's used to just rip it all apart whereas we should all be united we should all be working together yeah that was really well said so what are you working on now that you're back what are you up to i'm gonna be the campaign manager for this for this rock i told you about uh that's important but okay like what's your side gig gonna be (laughs) if anybody wants to follow the the campaign for the rock leecamp.net go there but um no, I, I've been doing my live streams. So I do I do live streams uh, four days a week, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, I do like you mentioned the show with Graham, the podcast with Graham Ed- Elwood, uh, Government Secrets. I do a podcast with Eleanor Goldfield called, called Common Censored. Um, so I've been doing all those and preparing my new show. I was I, I did a show with uh, Mint Press for a year called uh, close to a year uh, called Most Censored News that everyone can check out. It's still up on YouTube. Uh, but I'm moving on and I'm, I'm figuring out my next thing outside of the four day a week live stream. Uh, also my new book, I only put it out as ebook so far is out called dangerous ideas. And, uh, the only place right now to get it is, uh, leecamp.net. <clears throat> That's awesome. So you're not well, busy or anything. 
I just definitely uh, have a follow-up conversation. We're always constantly reading different books right now and, you know, trying to get as many different guests on, but we would love to obviously have you back and talk about dangerous ideas. And of course, guys, get over to LeakCamp.net, support his work. He is somebody who truly sacrificed quite a lot to tell the truth. And you are always welcome here. And anything we can do to help boost your work, you can always count on us to be there for you, pal. I really appreciate it, guys, and I, I, I wish you the best. The best. Love your work. Thanks, Thank you, brother. Lee. We'll be Bye. in touch. A great guy all around. Needless to say, guys, go to leadcamp.net. Yeah, um, he's always great, and his partner's great, too. She's incredibly talented, and yes. I, I, that's just really cool. They're very, like, they're very focused and artsy couple. I like it. Well, he, he sees through the BS, and yeah. that time, uh, you know, we can't get into detail, but, you know, when we first met up with him, it was it was clear that he was on the right mission. And it's good to have people in the coalition, even if you don't necessarily agree with all of their decisions and, you know, who they're rubbing elbows with. It is what it is. But if you guys like our decisions, which is to create a wide swath of uh, connections throughout the political arena, because let's face it, this is a class war, first and foremost, despite what people may think. Go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become a supporter of our show. You know you're going to get yourself that Lulu sticker as an intro. I don't know how many more of the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper stickers we have. I but think for those, one. I think one. Maybe one more. So if you do become a $10 a month patron, you will get yourself the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker. But for the very generous individual who decides to give $25 a month, and we have to come up with some type of a special. For anybody who donates $25, they're going to get themselves a generational change shirt. Now, whether it is the generational change jersey or, as Jen has on, the purple version of generational change, here comes the sun, you will have the opportunity to do so. And whether you want to become a patron or you want to make that $25 donation and get yourself a shirt, you can go over to Cash App, dollar sign, Gen Change. That is how you can make the contribution. And of course, if you are just looking to support our channel and what we do, we obviously appreciate any and all support that you can provide. And so for those of you who obviously are followers of left media, We'll call it that. Thank you so much, Mario. We always appreciate the quips. And of course, uh, everybody else who shows up to support our show is obviously very much appreciated. Yes, Tony. Eleanor is awesome. Yes, she's she is. awesome. Yeah, she's very cool. So for those of you who caught the interview last night between, you know, you call it whatever you want, between Jordan Chariton of Status Quo News and Keaton and Russell of due dissonance. My take on that conversation is very simple. Even though I think the conversation went off the rails at times, I think the importance of the audiences blending together and talking about the issues that really matter is what is going to allow some semblance of a left populist rising in, in, in digital media it's not going to rival right populist media by any stretch right now. All you have to do is look at a show like Tim Pool or a show like Michael Knowles 
or even a show like uh, Stephen Crowder and understand just how far behind uh, people on the left populist side of the fight really are. I will say this. I think that there were good points that were made by Jordan. I think there were good points that were made by Keaton and Russell. But ultimately, Jordan was given the opportunity in front of an audience of about a thousand people. And my guess is, is that when it's all said and done, you'll have in excess of approximately, you know, probably four or 5,000, maybe more people that will ultimately tune in and get, a, a, you know, at least a piece of what that live stream is all about. And I hope that the clips that need to be cut will be cut. Uh, you know, Jordan is covering one of the most important stories in the country right now that not a lot of people are talking about. You know, for months, we were so focused on East Palestine and the fact that that made news in many ways, not just because of the devastation of the train derailment and the, and the chemicals associated with the train cars covered by Norfolk Southern, was the fact that it was done in an area that was extremely, you know, Trump red and corporate media seized on that opportunity to say, this is what you get for voting for Donald Trump. Oh. Whereas in Kalamazoo, Michigan, with this paper mill and this and Kalamazoo is one of the most blue areas in all of Michigan outside of Detroit and Flint. It's probably the most blue area in the whole state. And this area has been devastated for a decade. This is a story that has been completely swept under the rug and the Democratic politicians. But let's be honest, it's both parties protecting each other. That, to me, is a huge part of the problem here. And that's a story which is no different in terms of the environmental contamination that's going on in East Palestine. It doesn't matter if it's red or blue. Corporate special interests will screw working people wherever they live. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, I was just happy to see the Jordan stream numbers went up. So anything that helps benefit him, I'm happy about. I'm, you know... All of it is kind of nonsensical to me. I don't really like to watch that stuff. I don't like to watch, and I don't like to even be a content creator talking about content creators. What I will say is that Jordan is an actual journalist, and so his information is very, very relevant. And you know, the more people that he can share that information with, even if they happen to be people like doorknobs or whatever, you know, all the power to him for getting that information out there. It's it's really a travesty that those people that are asking him to come on, it's really more about stupid leftist infighting than they're really interested with getting his information out there. That's what I think. Well, kudos to Jordan for making sure that he was able to get that information in there because that was the most important part of the night. Now, I don't know how many people are going to watch that and get Jordan's message about I what he was able to do. And, you know, you and I have talked at length. You know, there's a lot of people in the left movement that do not care for Crystal Ball or even Kyle Kalinske. And you know what? That's fine. And there are people who don't necessarily like the direction they've taken in terms of how they've covered Marianne Williamson's presidential campaign. What's most important to me regarding Crystal in particular is that she uses her platform to cover these stories that Jordan is covering. To hundreds of thousands of people, this story will go. But what you're not seeing is these other channels that could be covering this and really drawing attention to these problems. You know, if we had a cohesive populist left movement, there's no telling what we could accomplish. 
Now, I'm not saying we're going to put some populist left person into the White House, but I think we could cause a lot of we could, we could stir up a lot of uh, a lot of positive change relatively quickly, especially at the local level. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, you know, I can't stand coming on here and talking about other content creators. It's like nothing is less like less appealing to me, maybe a root canal. Like I am just not interested in what other people are doing on their on their channels. You know, what I, I mean? agree. And if and it would be one thing to care about what they were doing on their channels, if what they were covering were stories like the stories that Jordan has been covering. If the premise of what you are trying to do is to bring attention to that particular story, then I would say that that's a big deal. Now, where Keaton and Russell really tried to hammer Jordan is the fact that he went on um, the Vanguard. And because they openly admit that they are a gossip channel. Again, to me, that's not what's relevant here. What's relevant is if he goes on there and there's, let's say, three to four hundred live stream viewers at one time that are going to catch him on there and he has the opportunity to talk about what's going on in Kalamazoo, then he's done his job because then they're going to talk about it. And then that's going to become a central focus. It's not like he's calling up, you know, MSNBC, CNN or even Fox News, and they're going to go and cover the story. Why would they? This will make Governor Whitmer look really bad, really bad. And they full and she fully intends to run for president in 2028. From our understanding, Governor Whitmer is actually who Joe Biden wanted on his ticket instead of Kamala Harris in 2020. Now, again, all of it is in hindsight at this point because the, tr- the Biden-Harris ticket ultimately ended up winning in 2020. But as you and I have said at length, it wasn't a question of them winning. It was a question of Trump losing. Oh, yeah. They won't win. He can't win again. He can't win again. I, 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 all of this discussion about the, it's so interesting. I feel like I kind of want to hit fast forward because he can't win again. <laughs> like, yes. just, it's not going to happen, people. And so I really wonder how much longer these top elected officials are going to be able to get away with this. I, I got to every- grab a cord. I got to grab a cord. Sure. You know, you look around and you see how. Governor Snyder was able to get away with what he was able to get away with in Flint and nothing was done about it. Now you see just how it's all about the system. Everyone wants to point the finger directly at the GOP and say that they're the ones who are the problem. And that's not to say that they're not a problem. They are not the problem. The problem is corporate special interests have captured our government at the highest level. As I said, Kalamazoo, Michigan is as blue as East Palestine is red. And it doesn't matter because they're all working class people and they are suffering from, in many ways, environmental genocide. That is what is happening to them. And who get, and who's going to care? Their attitude is, well, they are either going to vote for us or they're not going to vote. So who the hell cares? You don't have any choices. And that's why you and I have obviously been talking at length about Dr. Cornell West. And that's not to say that we're not Democrats, but you know what? We sure as hell deserve better options. And if Cornell West is going to force the hand of the Democratic Party to give in to the demands of the working class, then so be it. And it's even more obvious to me that this is a complete charade and that they have no excuses 
because ultimately Joe Biden's the president of the United States. He has executive authority to enact significant change in this country. And everyone is saying it'll get thrown out in the courts. Well, if there's a populist left agenda in this country, there will be a uprising. There will be an uprising like an FDR uprising where they say, hey, listen, I'm trying to give you a living wage. I'm trying to give you labor rights. I'm trying to give you universal health care. It's those guys over there that are stopping it from happening. What do you want to do about it? Get out in the streets with your yellow vests on. Now, that's something Bernie Sanders might have done, especially back in 2016. But where we stand right now, absolutely not. No, but now that's the kind of thing that somebody like Cornell West would encourage. I agree a thousand percent. And that's why they're trying to shut him up right now. They don't even want him to talk. No. Imagine what's going to happen when he gets invited to speak on, let's see, what would be a good campus for him to speak on where he would have a real impact? How about the University of Arizona? How about if he speaks at that university in front of several thousand students in a state that the Democrats desperately need to hang on to in 24? I don't know. If you ask me, that could have real significant effect on the election. What do you think? I think he's going to have a significant impact on the election regardless. I mean, his strategy is still to be determined. I mean, obviously, the main point is, is he running as an independent uh, with affiliated with the People's Party? Will he ultimately be able to get on the green ticket? You know, I mean, those are really the main issues to me. Everything else at this point is sort of like secondary. But I think he's going to be impressive no matter what. He's you cannot uh, ignore him. Ray J, you bring up an excellent point. And I have no. to tell you, more and more by the day, they are proving just how corrupt the system really is. And I'll explain why. Uh, Chris Christie, I kid you not, is running for president again. And apparently he's already getting a CNN town hall. And he's polling at zero. It doesn't matter. He's he's establishment. He's within the box. He fits in the box, although he doesn't fit in the box. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, it would be very difficult for him to fit into anything. But that's he's not fitting into anything. I knew I, listen, I never I, you know, listen, ever, there's plenty of people who deal with weight problems, but he's a particular scummy type of person. Have you ever seen the picture of him playing in the softball game at Yankee Stadium where he had like two stomachs? Oh, it was so bad. Yeah, no, it's bad. It's and apparently he had like lap band surgery or something like that. So it, he really made an effort to try to help himself health wise, but wasn't really able to, you know, that clearly uh, didn't really make much of a difference. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think bringing the conversation back, um, you know, to what, you know, Keaton and Russell were talking about. I do think there are times where Jordan allows his, political opinions to get in the way of the story he's trying to get out there. And I think, unfortunately, in the political environment that we live in today, there are people who are way too quick to judge him based on a disagreement on a political issue, such as, let's say, vaccines, and ignore the fact that he's doing real journalism, that he is on the ground and he is fighting in a way that pretty much nobody else is. I mean, he really puts himself out there. Yeah. I just, you know, I, we've talked about this at length because it's very frustrating that everybody is just about their feelings. That's what it's about. They don't like somebody said something that you don't agree with. And so now you're not going to listen to them, even though they know what they're talking about on all these other things. Right. 
Like it's just this, there's no nuance, there's no context. And if people want to, you know, feel like that about him and make it be a political thing, I don't think that a journalist has any responsibility to not be political. They don't have to be. They're allowed to have their own opinions. They're allowed to be voters. They're allowed to have things that are important enough to them that dictate what they cover and what they give you know, priority to. So I don't expect journalists to not have opinions and to be impartial. Everybody's allowed to have their opinion. The only question that matters is, is the information that someone is putting out. Is it factual and accurate? It is up to a viewer to get different types of information from different places but I don't care when journalists have a bias because that dictates what they're going to cover. That's the whole point. You it's like you can't expect them to not have opinions. You just can't let those opinions take away from factual reporting. I think you're absolutely right. And I think the other problem that persists, and this is something that Keaton brought up, which I appreciated him being candid about, because a lot of these other channels are not, which is he admitted that there are circumstances where he will put in a certain banner headline, whether it's for a clip or a live stream. And if it's, you know, debatable or, you know, it's not not shit posting, but controversial in some capacity or it's challenging in some way that that will get a lot of views. If he chooses to talk about a topic that's of great importance, like Kalamazoo, they're not going to get many clicks at all. Now, how much of that? How much of that do you think is the the YouTube algorithm specifically suppressing those types of stories, or how much of it do you think it's really just about the audience just wanting to you know to watch drama, like that's of what's of the most interest to them? Well, of course, that's how I think it's both. But I think this is interesting comment from off the rails. So you're saying because foreign policy is trumping everything else. Here's the thing: when you say wars got too costly, no. Oh, wars are so profitable. So why would they give any attention to cleaning up water in Flint when they could boost up more and more war within Ukraine or anywhere else that we want to have war because that's profitable. Fixing the water in Flint is not profitable. So it isn't that it's too costly. It's that it's too profitable. That's all I wanted to say. American Wasp with Dieter McBusiness, who has a an hysterical account, if I remember correctly, on uh, on it's uh, Twitter. It's Dieter McBusiness, and it's insane that you still don't get it. Dieter McBusiness? Okay. Well, anyway, DDD oh bags fuel left-wing <laughs> infighting. F them. Doorknobs are what's wrong with the online left. We have no chance at relevant until Jimmy is eliminated. Okay. So- Here's here's you can't what we'll say. things like that because wait a minute, we're not going to talk about eliminating people. No. Okay. And, we're, we're, and first of all, Jimmy is going to be around whether you like it or not. He has one million two hundred and fifty thousand subscribers, and that is not even scratching the surface of how popular he is on the comedy tour. I we've been to his shows. He is very popular. And people will pay good money to see him, including a time that we went. And there was very close, if not 500 people in the room. He gets he gets an audience like it's for real. Now, what would I personally do if I was in, let's say, Jordan's shoes and I was going to call out Jimmy? Just call out Jimmy on the fact that he doesn't cover any of these stories. He doesn't cover Kalamazoo. 
that's a story that he could cover that could have a tremendous impact on what's going on because he'll get hundreds of thousands of views and people will be talking about this. But he's not a news source. He never pretends to be a news source. His whole shtick is just being a ranting, belligerent person on a shtick. And so he's never presented himself as news. And the fact that so many people have chosen to see it that way is just sort of like the travesty that is our general media in this country that has led to that. That's the kind of news people are getting. I, definitely but is, I don't think Jimmy has an obligation to cover those things. I think that it is extremely telling about him as a, as a person, as to what he does and does not expose viewers to when he has such a big platform. I think we can all look at somebody and say, okay, how are they using their platform? It's sort of like, how are they lending their privilege? How are they doing that? And so, yeah, we can look at Jimmy and say, okay, you know, clearly he spends more time getting people angry to get clicks than he does really working towards service and working towards helping and working towards, you know, but in terms of, you know, whether or not he has any obligation to do so, I don't think he does. Fair enough. Um, and, and here's what I'm going to say to this, Steve. Uh, I actually don't agree. Uh, I mean, partially, yes, but I just I don't think that this is working anymore. Here, Steve, I'll tell you what. I sure as hell won't because. <laughs> There is no universe wherein I will support Joe. Nope, not going to happen. Not going to happen. And you know what? When anybody questions me about it, I'm going to have to sing. Like my mom used to sing me that working on the railroad song. I used to love it when I was, oh, I've been working on the railroad. Right? And I used to love that song. And I think I'm just going to break out into a railroad tune. If anybody questions my lack of voting for, for Joe or support for Joe. And here's, and here's the last thing I'll say about Jimmy that you guys have to pay very close attention to. If you really want to understand that for Jimmy, it's about the job. It's about the money first and foremost. No question about it. For the last, what would you say? Probably three years, Jimmy's basically been nonstop about don't vote in the Democratic Party. It's a graveyard. Don't go there. It's a waste of time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jimmy is very, very tepidly, gingerly trying to push the angle for RFK. I can tell that's what he's doing. And why is he doing that? Because Jimmy went all in on the vaccine issue, and he knows that that is a big issue with RFK, and that gets clicks. It gets a lot of clicks. And it does so for Jimmy's channel. It has done so for the past few years. When we cover RFK on our channel, we get a lot of clicks too. But we're not covering him in that context. We're covering him on substantive issues that are separating him from somebody like Joe Biden, particularly when it comes to civil liberties and foreign policy. But Jimmy recognizes that there is a big audience out there that really, likes RFK that already to a degree likes him, but he can capture an even bigger audience. Why wouldn't you want that? Do you guys know that Jimmy Dore probably makes an excess of $2 million a year? That's a lot of freaking money. And that's a lot of money compared to even where he was when I met with him at a dinner. Uh, guess it's about five years ago now. And he was making a half a million dollars then. Swimming in the money. 
And that's not even counting what he's making on the comedy tour. See, none of this is relevant to me. I find no. all of that irrelevant. I don't care how much money he has. I don't really, I honestly don't care about him one it's way or the all, other. No, but it's only, re, it's only relevant from this perspective. It's a career. This is about yeah. making money. It is not about, oh, I'm going to go start a revolution. Well, let's be honest. If you were really interested in doing that, Jimmy would be doing nonstop wall-to-wall coverage on the Amazon workers trying to form a union. He would be doing the same, supporting the railroad workers union. Hell, he would be trying to force, or not force, but he would be trying to organize Walmart workers to go out and form a union themselves. That's what they should be doing. And if they were doing that, to me, there's no question that that would have a tremendous impact. That's where a lot of that will come from. Do I think Jimmy is going to cover Dr. Cornell West the way that he really needs to be covered? No, I don't. As a matter of fact, if you really want to know just how dangerous Dr. Cornell West is really going to be, I give you exhibit A because apparently Joan Walsh in Politico was not the only person who decided to write an article saying Cornell West should not run for president. Not, oh, you're going to hurt. Some. This is get the hell out of this race. We don't want you here. You're going to. It's so mess- rude. It's so rude. Can I just say something very quickly? Because I, I, I have a prediction to make. Jimmy's interest or lack thereof regarding Cornell West will be directly correlated to whether or not Cornell is running with the People's Party versus running as a Green. And I think that if Cornell chose to run as a Green and thereby step away from this agreement with the People's Party, not only do I think that they won't cover him, but I think that they'll turn on him. Yes, and I do think that that is absolutely correct. They're so juvenile, like they're, they're belligerent children. That's what they're like over there. So that's what I would think. And one thing I will say to Stevie about whether or not any of these channels are going to openly encourage people to vote for Joe Biden. We're not going to do that. And on top of everything well, else, and on top of everything else, what you have to remember is that it's you can see it. You can feel it in the air politically. It's not going to work anymore. No. It's not going to have the same effect that it once did. Joe Biden had a golden opportunity to drive this country in the right direction. And he chose to be status quo Joe at the worst possible time in our nation's history. I actually reject that he's status quo. I would argue he's pushed backwards. So, you know, status quo Joe might not have been so bad. Okay, status quo Joe is not somebody who does further drilling in Alaska. Status quo Joe doesn't agree to green light more pipelines. Status quo Joe, you know what I mean? That key, you know, where he was status quo was on Trump's tax cuts. He was very status quo on that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, most, if not all, of the things that he's been doing uh, has been going in the wrong direction. Correct. And Kat, uh, we did not have Jordan on tonight, but we wanted to obviously cover. We had Jordan on last week. Uh, he went on. Uh, he was on our show on Wednesday of last week. So go check that out. There's also a handful of shorts that are up. Uh, with our interview with Jordan, there will be, I think, a couple of more clips that will be He'll be up. back eventually. He will. He will. He'll make his rotation back. Former President Donald Trump, the front runner for the Republican nomination, received some good news this week in his quest to be reelected president. Oh, my this- God. Who wrote this? Please. Who was this? So this apparently is a person named Irv Randolph for the Philadelphia <clears throat> Tribune. In addition to Trump, several Republican candidates are making 2024 presidential bids, blah, 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 blah. The large number of Republicans seeking to become president and splitting the vote helps Trump. 
who has a loyal base of supporters in the GOP. Trump also received some help this week from a noted progress. That is how they frame it. They frame it as, oh, this is helping Donald Trump because it's not helping Joe Biden. I don't know who reads this now and thinks that this is good, but it's really ridiculous. And at, at this point, you're kind of just laughing at it because to me, this is just funny now. This isn't even, it was one thing when they were doing it before and everyone was kind of feeling some letter of, letter, a, amount of shame and Bernie was out there campaigning. So we definitely have to support Joe Biden because we can't allow Donald Trump to be reelected and it's going to be bad. Well, we did elect Joe and it's pretty bad. Oh, In it's fact, bad. Especially when it comes to the environment, it's even worse if you can believe that. I actually think that articles like this, because this, what this is, it's vote shaming. Okay, let's be very clear. This is vote shaming. And so, you know, I think that people are not just sick of that, but I think it has the complete opposite effect. Oh, it's going to inspire people to just go vote for Trump even more. Well, well, not just that. That's going to inspire people to support Cornell West even more. It's like when you tell people what not to do, that doesn't usually work anyway, which is one of the reasons I don't support bans and mandates in general, because it just doesn't work. But this kind of like sanctimony and condescension that has become so typical of unfortunately what is perceived as the left, but we don't think of as the actual left, but like the Democratic Party. This is so repulsive to people. You don't like my music. You're absolutely right. That's the scariest thing. They know that if Dr. West gets any type of momentum, it will force the Dems left. They'll have no choice. Uh, You know, Commie, Commie John, I don't know if I'm willing to go there. I think it depends on what base of the voter. If you're talking about voters over the age of 65, yeah, that's probably correct. But if actually, you- I, I actually think it's more than that. I think he is correct because the Democratic Party voters nowadays are not really the left. Most people, they have they have bled so many voters and so many people that are new and young are registering as no party. So the reality is, if you are talking about Democratic voters, I think he makes a very valid point. I know a ton of people. They wouldn't say it out loud, by the way, because that sounds so ridiculous that you would rather punish Trump than give people health care. But I do believe that there are very many people that that is what they would prefer. Determic business? Yes. Can I say it right? Yes. (laughs) Dor is an internet gangster. If you don't kiss the ring, he'll crush you. If he cared about the cause, he'd unite the online left, but he divides because that yields subs. Marginalize, not eliminate. Mm-hmm. I've got nothing to add to that. That is, um, there is a lot of truth to that. So what I, but what is of most importance now, Jen and fellow audience members that we love having here. And by the way, if you haven't, please smash that like button, share, subscribe to all those wonderful things we ask. We really appreciate it. If you think this article is bad already, this is going to get so much worse. It's going to make your head spin. professor at both Harvard and Princeton universities. He is reckless with his rhetoric. For example, he criticized former President Barack Obama as a war criminal. Um, Aren't all presidents war criminals? Well, in my lifetime, they've been. Actually, Um, ironically, Trump is the only one that didn't like sort of start some mess. Yeah, that's that is true. 
on his campaign. I'm not saying he was good by any stretch, no. but I don't recall him starting an international mess. On his campaign website, West mixes reasonable goals with a naive view of geopolitics. That's he so says condescending. He, he says he wants to end wars. That sounds good. Disband NATO. That also sounds good. Forgive all student debt. <laughs> Expand social security. Dear God, he's really out of his mind now. And invest in clean energy. All right, that's it. We can't support this guy. He's totally nuts. He doesn't know anything. Throw throw the baby out with the bathwater. Am I right? Well, yeah, but and that this doesn't even begin to get into what's really going to be a problem for him, which is going to be APAC. Um, the, the fact that he is such a strong advocate for um, Palestinian justice is not that's going to be the easiest way for the Democrats to sort of eliminate him uh, media wise. They'll just hand it over to their, you know, gangster, you know, hitmen APAC and they'll let him do it for them. I'm not even finished yet. There are several other problems with West and West's announced run for president. First, he appears to show disdain for Biden and Trump as if they were on the same level when there is no comparison. Okay. That's awesome. Oh my God, that's so good. Now, could you possibly live in a bigger contrived bubble than this Irv Randolph guy? Again, he's in Philadelphia, so it's not entirely surprising. West called Trump a neo-fascist and Biden a milquetoast neoliberal. Where's the lie? That is, I can't think of anything more just factually true about that. And that's like so much worse when he talks about Trump. Milquetoast neoliberal is being too kind to President Biden as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, look, there's definitely a lot of people who make comments about Cornell West in terms of policy and knowledge and foreign policy and all that stuff. But guys, here's the reality. Okay. It really doesn't matter. He's not winning. Okay. You're not worrying about that. That's not what this is about. So let's stop worrying about what he would do. What he would do is he would surround himself with extremely smart people and he would, and he would surround himself with people that care about regular people and not killing people overseas. That's what he would do. I don't need to worry about the details of his foreign policy. It really is not relevant. That's what I wanted to say about that. Okay. And again, it's it's going to get even worse. Biden is a pragmatic politician who may fall short of West's ambitious leftist vision, but he has achieved some impressive legislative victories that have helped ordinary Americans. Among other legislative successes, Biden pushed through Congress with narrow Democratic majorities, a 1.9 trillion COVID relief package, a major infrastructure bill, which, of course, no one's going to talk about because the infrastructure bill is a complete corporate giveaway. Yes, there will be marginal benefits that will come from such a multi-trillion dollar package, but so much of that is not going where it belongs and it will seldom help where it is desperately needed. You know, like Kalamazoo and East Palestine, lower prescription drug costs for seniors. Well, let's see. The only prescription drug that was lowered in terms of its cost was insulin, and that was for seniors specifically. So making that out to be like some amazing accomplishment, modest gun reform, 
and major investments to combat climate change. Oh, you mean like the Willow Project and the Mountain Valley Pipeline? You mean like the fact that you have greenlit more drilling in this country in two years than Trump did in four years? We totally have to bring the oil here to America. You got to bring it home. Come on, man. I'll do you one better than that. And that, of course, is what happened. I can keep going. Uh, I just I, I'm just I'm disgusted, but I'm not at all surprised. This is going to be one of many similar types of pieces that we're going to see. I don't need to keep reading this. No, but, but it really will come down to, for me, in all seriousness, the determination as to whether or not I, in my mind, I view Cornell West as a serious candidate will determine whether or not he is trying to run as an independent affiliated with the People's Party or if he gets on as a Green Party candidate, because that's a world of difference, a world of difference. Like the, the level of difference in potential and in what that means is huge. So I'm sort of waiting to see how that sort of pans out. All right, we've got we've got one more. Uh, let me just write this down real quick because I don't want to forget. What are you making me talk about now? No, one last thing before we go because we all know what tomorrow is. So, what is tomorrow? Tomorrow is a very important day. I've only come here on my way down to Miami. I just wanted to inform you people that I'm totally okay. Jen, believe me when I tell you. We are still making America great again. Again, but I don't believe a word that comes out of your mouth. Well, that's just too bad because even if I have to do it from inside a prison cell, I will still get the job done in 24. Creepy old Joe, he doesn't get any responsibility thrown on his shoulders. Everything is on me. I'm the most persecuted person in America. Believe me when I tell you. They totally want to take me out, but in reality, they're trying to take you out, and I'm the one standing in the way. So make sure you get down to the courthouse tomorrow, wear your red, white, and blue. Show That's going to be a nightmare. Oh, that is going uh, to be a nightmare. I am absolutely looking forward to that nightmare. Oh my God. I'm so wait. glad I'm here. I'm so I'm going to have lots of, lots of Trumpies. Lots of wonderful fans, incredible people. They're real. No, that's not what I don't like. Actually, actually, uh, Mr. President, that's not what I don't like. What I don't what like don't are going like? to be all the all the milquetoast neolibs that are out spending their dying breath worrying about what you're up to instead of actually helping people. You totally Those are the people that will annoy totally, me the most with this. I really appreciate you. You totally get it. You understand? They're all coming after me like I'm the bad guy here. I am completely innocent. I merely was just flipping through a bunch of boxes of information. And so what? I just kept it in the bathroom. Listen, you know, no, you really should be in prison, but that's not my. No, that, no, that's that's totally, no, that's totally not true. The totally problem is true. that the Democrats can't excuse walk me. and chew gum at the same time. So uh, I don't really me. care. Excuse me. I'm talking. So listen, if any of you understand my predicament, when you're going to the bathroom and you're doing number two, like I do, and knowing what type of a diet I have, you know I take a lot of time in that golden throne. So when I'm sitting there, I have a lot of time on my hands, and I fully expect to be entertained. So why not read a few classified information documents here and there? It's great entertainment. I never shared anything with anybody. I never did. I was merely passing the time on my throne. 
doing my business. You totally get it. You understand. And that is my story. I'm sticking I'm to it. I'm just amazed that you read. Oh, I read the best. I'm totally a great reader and I'm a great thinker as well. And I'm thinking what I'm going to do once I get past this hurdle. You know, they don't call me the Teflon Don for nothing, you know. Yeah, that's just great. All right. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. This is only the beginning. They are totally messing with the wrong guy. They can't beat me because they can't beat you. Make America great again. Again. Thank you very much. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. Uh, it will be a fiasco. I even half-heartedly thought about going down there, but I'm like, no, uh, it would end up costing me an entire day if I did that. It's just not worth it. And Lord knows security in, in Miami is going to be much more serious than it was in New York City. I just, I would like, I would like to see the day go by without somebody getting really hurt down there. Like that's, that would be like the best we could hope for. Yeah, that's what we can hope for. Make sure that you tune in on Wednesday night because we have another wonderful guest who will be joining us. Mike Figueredo of the Humanist Report will be making his return to our podcast. We also have many more wonderful guests lined up. By the way, um, I, I finally- saw that. Wait, hold on a second. Miss Anonymous, I saw that. Yeah, for people who don't realize, a portion of I-95 collapsed in Pennsylvania. Philadelphia. Um, was it in Philly? Yeah. Okay. I just knew it was in Pennsylvania. I knew it was I-95 Pennsylvania. Let me and tell you I mean- something. Let me tell you something, Mr. Irv Randolph. That infrastructure bill is really working wonders right now. Let me tell you. Infrastructure. We have no infrastructure. We pay people, but we don't actually have an infrastructure. What infrastructure? Uh, The African People's Solidarity Committee. Yes, that was Penny Hess. That I want to speak to them. That was the, yes. As soon as I looked it up, I'm like, oh, yes, that's who she was. And she's also going to be able to bring on one of the other... um, people that were arrested and he's actually out of St. Petersburg, Florida, which is cool. Cause he's sort of like, you know, he's a Floridian. Um, but yes, we need to cover that. That's really important. We haven't really talked about it. I've been really wanting to talk about it. It's, it's important and it's flying under the radar. Uh, Jen, you have a lot of admirers in the chat that much I can say. Okay, that's so sweet. Guys, I appreciate it because this is my mountain look of no no hair straightener, no very limited makeup, just, you know, I'm grooving the mountain look. Say hi to Lulu. Is she there? Can we say, can we see Lulu before we go or is she yes. nestled? In- Ah, uh, Teresa, with a beautiful comment as well. Thank you so much to Jen. Thank uh, you. Lulu, you're still the most adorable munchkin I've ever seen. Keep looking cute. I mean, listen, Reese is definitely some serious competition for you. No question about it. But you are uh, a very cute <laughs> lady. So enjoy your time there. We will be talking. Yes, Lulu. Everybody loves Lulu. Uh, our famous mascot. Remember, guys, smash the like button, share, subscribe, do all those wonderful things that we're extremely grateful for each and every one of you for doing. Uh, Enjoy the uh, interview if you haven't seen it already with Lee Camp. Make sure to check our archives. We recently spoke with Jordan Chariton of Status Quo News. 
prior to his conversation with due dissonance. You'll find a lot of what he talked about, particularly Kalamazoo, Michigan, to be very informative. And we obviously, as we mentioned, will be speaking with our good friend, Mike Figueredo of the Humanist Report. We will see you Wednesday. Bye, all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.